0: Welcome to a special episode of The Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White, and joining me, of course, is Mr. Rob St. Mary.
1: Hello, sir. This week,
0: we are doing a little bit of a special here, talking about the sequel to Original Gangsters, which is a Kickstarter project that folks can
1: help out with right now. Yeah, and I'm really excited about this because it is a project where, you know, it's not that often that people who you really enjoy... Go out there and go. You know, let's put the money together. Let's make this film, and I'm going to bring my friends. And it's Fred the Hammer Williamson. I mean, the guy's an icon. If if you love 70s action film, black exploitation, whatever you want to call it, he has always been, you know, one of those, those those high bar guys. And it's great that he's bringing along just a whole troop of his friends and wants to do a sequel to original Gangsters. And um, I, I'm excited because of this cast. I mean, it's pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, the cast is fantastic. The cast of the original had, you know, some of the biggest icons when it came to black exploitation, and this one is doing the exact same thing. You know, we've got Fred the Hammer Williamson, Jim Brown, Richard Roundtree, Pam Greer, Bernie Casey, Antonio Fargus. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. Gloria Hendry is in there. So it is just one of these star-studded casts of folks that... We talked a few weeks ago on our Black Shampoo episode about the love of black exploitation that I have. These are all the folks that I loved when I was kind of growing up.
1: We'll put it this way: you had me at Antonio Fargas. Everything else is just gravy. It's just just <laughs> pour it on, baby, because it's just an amazing cast.
0: The first movie came out years and years ago, so I'm so glad to know that they're coming back and just strapping on the guns and going. So It's also kind of cool to me that there's a Michigan connection going on with this one because it's being produced by Jason Roth, a friend of mine from Grand Rapids. So I had no idea at the time when uh, I saw the project being announced and I started tweeting about it and everything, and then Jason reaches out to me and I'm just like... What the heck is he doing? And then I realized, oh, he's actually, you know, producing this film. So that was kind of a, a very funny thing for me.
1: <laughs> and you know what's really cool is in the interview, you're going to hear us not only talk to – Fred Williamson or the hammer. I don't even know what to call him because I'm, I'm so excited is not only about this film and and getting it together, but we took your questions on Facebook and um, he answered those graciously with, you know, just a really gracious guy. And not only that, but we had to ask him at least I did because I'm a news freak. I had to ask him what he thinks about the, the stuff going on right now with the NFL and the whole concussions thing. So you're going to get, you're going to get film, you're going to get football, with Fred the Hammer Williams, and what more could you want?
0: And later on in the year, you're going to get an episode about Boss Nigger, one of Fred's earlier films, and we are going to be joined by David Walker of Bad as Mofo, one of my favorite zines from back in the day. He's going to be joining us and talking about that film, and I imagine that we're going to talk a lot about uh, Fred's other westerns as we go along as well.
1: Let's roll that interview with Fred the Hammer Williams.
0: With Original Gangsters 2, does this one start kind of where the last one left off?
2: Kind of like where the last one left off based on the fact that the cast is still doing the same thing. I gave them all legitimate jobs in the first one. Uh, This one, Jim and Pam are still together, and uh, they now operate a boxing club, and they wind up with a very high prospect, and the bad guys want to buy the fighter from Jim, and Jim doesn't want to sell, and so they try to strong arm him, and that's where all of us come out of our out of our shells, out of our cocoons to help our buddy out.
1: You're doing quite a bit on this one, it's my understanding. You're uh, you're in it, you're directing, you're writing, all that stuff?
2: Well, that's what I did on the first or two. other than totally direct. I hired uh, Larry Cohen to do some directing, because as a favorite to him for the films that we had done together, which were Black Caesar and Health in Harlem, I gave him a chance to uh, to direct one of my films, and uh, I sort of helped co-direct it also. But it's just something I do all the time anyway. I've done about 40 40 films as a producer and a director and writer. I've done that before.
0: Why did you decide on the whole crowdfunding thing? Well,
2: because, you know, I've been, I've done this film maybe over 12 or 13 years ago. and I've been trying ever since to get the money out. Hollywood doesn't seem to care or, or respond to this kind of product. And I think this is a, when, if they saw the faces of the people when I talk to them and say that I'm getting ready to do uh, Original Gangsters 2 and their face light up and when can I see it and when is it going to be ready? I think they may change their attitude, but I've had no luck in raising the money and getting the film off the ground. So this isn't another resort to try to get it off through Kickstarter.
1: You know, it's always great when uh, we get to see you team up with, you know, I, I, I want to say they're your friends. You've worked with them, you know, plenty of times, you know, Pam Greer. And, and old Jim
2: buddies, old yeah. buddies, old buddies, All from, buddies from way back.
1: You know, obviously, working with your friends has a lot of advantages. I mean, what, what for you is sort of the best and worst things about getting the team back together and doing that?
2: The best thing is that you have fun. And that's why you make films, and that's why you're in the business anyway, to have some sort of fun. And now you got all your all your buddies, and, and when I write the script, I write something that fits their personality and fits their character. The worst part is paying them. <laughs> they all want big bucks because uh, they figure it's the hammer. He's got big money to pay them, so that's the hard part. Get them to understand, and um, everything is on a shoestring. And so, let's just have some fun, and don't try to get rich off of me.
0: When it came to the first one, you've got so many luminaries of African American action, plus other genres going on in here. Did you try to get uh, other folks that just weren't available for for it, like maybe like a Jim Kelly or anybody?
2: No, I'm not in the person because you know everybody had an image, you know, and and movies just sort of moved away from pure martial art kind of films. I mean, look at what what Stallone did to Jet Li when he put him in his films. Jet Li didn't have one fight in his first uh, indispensable films or dispendables or whatever that thing was called. Uh, Jet Li fought he didn't fight anybody, so he, he wanted to take advantage of his name, and I wanted to do more than that. I wanted to show Roundtree and his and his Shaft image and Jim Brown and his tough guy image and me and my image and Pam Greer being a woman, but also can be tough at times. So I wanted to give everybody their their due and do their thing and and Kelly just did not fit into that uh, into that genre that I was uh, trying to bring back.
1: You know, obviously, you're you're asking fans, you're asking people to uh, you know open their wallets and and help you in that way. How do you pitch it to them to go, hey, you know, this is what I'm trying to do? How do you sell it to them?
2: Well, it's it's a product that I'm I'm excited about, and and I feel that they are too to see what everybody looks like now, to see what Pam Greer looks like and Jim Brown and bernie casey and Richard Roundtree. three i mean these guys were all their stars and their celebrities back in the day and nothing has changed except that we don't see enough of them and so that's all i'm trying to do is bring them back and let them see how everybody looks and we're all alive and well and see one more big film before we all ride off into the sunset
0: how has the uh, campaign kind of been responded to and what kind of feedback are you getting from the fans so
2: the feedback has been very good and very positive i think that I think what we did wrong was the timing. We were opening it up in, like, mid-December, which we were going against New Year's and Christmas. So I think it was a, it was a, not a good planning on our part to open it up against the holidays. So if there's any chance maybe later on, if we don't reach the goal, then it's still not a dead project. We'll, we'll come back later on and, and present it again at a more opportune time, maybe when people have more money and, and you know, the holidays was not a good time. I, I think we were so excited about releasing it that we just – did not really think it through about the holidays. And when you do it together, it doubles the pleasure. When everybody's doing their thing, you know it. You know how Brown is going to act. You know what Roundtree is going to do. You know what Bernie cage is going to do. We got Antonio, Antonio Fargas. You know what kind of character he's going to play. He's going to be Huggy Bear, but his name won't be Huggy Bear. But he'll be playing that type of character. So everybody will be doing what we expect to see them do. You know, we're not asking anybody to open their. Pocket that deep, not asking for deep pockets. If everybody just believed in the project and shared, and shared it, we'd reach our goal. We're not asking anybody to drop, you know, twenty-five, fifty, hundred thousand dollars down. If we got enough people coming in at a little, we'll, you know, we'll get it, and everybody can claim the fame when their film comes out and it plays in their theater in their town. They can claim the fame.
1: Talking about the the costs involved, will the campaign take care of the whole thing, or do you have to go into your own pocket to finish it off?
2: No, this would be the whole thing because if you don't reach the goal, the goal is a million two, and it, and it's not really a million dollar film. It's more than a five million dollar mm-hmm. film because first of all, they're taking less money than all these actors are taking less money. I'm not taking any money, so my salary as a producer, writer, and director, and mm-hmm. their salaries would boost it up to a five million dollar film. But, you know, I'm able to make it at a million two because they are my friends, and and they want to make the project too because it helps their career and reestablishes their image, and that's important. So everybody uh, should be happy if we can get it off. And everybody would like what, like the characters that my, that my friends are playing.
0: You've been in the business for, what, over 40 years now, right? Yeah, yeah. You've seen the business change so many different times. For you, what's been some of the, the, the stuff that's affected you the most within, say, like just the last few years?
2: Well, nothing, nothing positive, that's for sure. I mean, everybody in Hollywood feels that black comedy is the only successful way to go into a film. And uh, that's really not true. We don't have enough action characters. That's what got me started in the movie business in the first place. To bring some heroes, we didn't have any black heroes. Sidney Poitier was the only hero we had. He was a, he was a very fine actor, the best black actor we had at that time. But he was not an action hero. And what we needed was a, he, a hero. We needed somebody to to uh, when the when the gunfight was over, a black guy was left standing, and everybody else was dead. You know. I don't, don't kill me and have Schwarzenegger avenge my death. Kill Schwarzenegger, let me avenge his death. So <laughs> we we needed that image. We needed that kind of character, and that came and went very fast. And Hollywood didn't pick up on it. It went right back to the to the black comedy. I like my image because my image is close to me and close to my personality. And it's not that I'm not funny, but I'm not funny all the time. And Hollywood sees that money in black films is comedy.
0: I know with the with the last film you did a lot of kind of cross-generational thing as far as having you know the guys that you work with and then also reaching out to some of the younger actors and everything are you doing that again with this one?
2: Oh, of course. Yeah, I mean that's what I do. I mean I, I reach back first of all and get my old buddies and then we throw in some of the guys that were that were our adversaries in the first one now become now become our posse because we need more than enough to help. So these guys that we beat up on the last on the first one now are on our side, so they become our posse against these bad guys.
0: We asked our listeners for some questions for you. I wanted to throw throw a couple of those out for you. No problem. Uh, real quick. Okay. Um, can you tell me, what was it like being in Tell Me That You Love Me, Junie Moon?
2: Tell Me You Love Me, Junie Moon was a film that I got after being in M.A.S.H. Otto Engel Priminger was producing M.A.S.H., and his brother Otto was looking for an Italian actor, actually to be muscular and carry the part and do all that. Uh, Ingo was impressed with my acting, so he took me to meet Otto Preminger at their party, and it was a crash party because he didn't tell Otto that we were coming. So we go to the party, and I'm sitting down, and Otto is a little perturbed that I'm there, so he said, okay, I'm going to give you a script. You read it. So I'm reading it, and we're sitting in front of him, and he's got his head leaned forward, showing me his glistening bald head, trying to scare the hell out of me as he does to most people. And I was doing really bad because I this is my first film, second film, so I really wasn't good at pole reading. So I just stood up and, took the, script and tore, took the script and tore it in half, threw it across the room, and got up and said, I don't like this part anyway. He says, Well, it's good because you are ex football player. And when you start playing football, most of you people get soft. And, and you can't carry this part very well because there's someone you have to carry on your shoulder throughout the whole movie. So I grabbed him and I lifted him up. They didn't know what I was going to do to him. They thought I was going to body slam him, but I didn't. I just. Anymore. I didn't know he had pissed me off. His wife came over, and, and I put him down gently and shook her hand and apologized for being at the party and interrupting your party, and I left. By the time I got home, the phone was running off the hook. I answered the phone, and, Fred, Fred, this Otto, come back. I said, I'm not coming back. Sure, come back. You have the plot. I want you. Okay, so that's how I got. Tell me you love me, Junie Moon.
0: Do you have any stories of uh, what it was like working with Lee Van Cleef on Take a Hard Ride?
2: Lee Van Cleef is uh he is—he is—, he is as tough and as honoree as he appears to be, the man walks into a room and everybody stops and looks and listens to see what he has to say, if anything at all. This is, this is, this was a hero of all heroes. He was that kind of guy, man. He was like, we don't have those anymore, man. We don't have the the Robert Mitchums, the Robert Ryans, the the Richard Woodmarks. We don't have any of those kind of guys coming up anymore. So I'm trying to stay true to my grit and Jim Brown has. And, uh, Roundtree has swayed a little bit, but I'm trying to help him get back to his grit because that's what we need in in the in, in the black entertainment. I'm tired of seeing Madea. I'm tired of I'm tired of seeing big fat black women. I'm tired of, I'm tired of Madea. You know, I'm, you know, if I saw her on the street, I wouldn't help her cross the street. I'm tired of her.
0: So you're saying that nobody's going to dress and drag in your film?
2: <laughs> Forget about it, dude. There's an <laughs> ugly lady. Let me tell you, Wesley Snipes was ugly. <laughs> Everyone is. It's been totally ugly.
0: Uh, Flip Wilson, I don't know, man. You know, Sometimes he did a little something for me.
2: Yeah, well, Flip had a style. you know, Flip, Flip had a style. <laughs> he, 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 was, he was different. Ugly is ugly, man. He was flat out ugly.
0: What was it like working with Sonny Landham on Three Days to Kill?
2: Sonny, Sonny is, is, you don't really know what Sonny's going to do, man. If you tell Sonny to go left, he might go right and eventually get left. Sonny, Sonny was an exciting guy, but he was unpredictable. He was a great actor. But he was he was totally unpredictable. He was he was fun, but he was sunny. Let me tell you, he was the, he was the Indian. He was a crazy Indian kind of guy.
1: I just had a question about uh, football, and uh, lately yeah. there's been a lot of coverage of the concussion issue and how the NFL is going to deal with it. And I was wondering what your take on that is, and sort of how have you seen that affect your friends and former teammates?
2: Well, I think I think that it's overblown. I think it's because of of the potential financial gain that somebody can prove that that happened. You know, it, how, do you, how, do you, how do you prove a concussion happened while you're a National Football League player? It could happen when you were stepping out of the bathtub and, and bumped your head. If the owners just accept the fact that they need to take that artificial turf off and put real grass down, then we won't have any any so-called concussions, that, or we won't have as many because that artificial grass is laid over concrete. So whenever you get hit, it's a double hit. They hit you, and then your head hits the ground. It's a double hit. The concussion comes from bouncing off the damn ground. If the owners would just spend the time and the money to take that stuff off, we'd have less. Because back in the day, we didn't have those kind of things. We didn't have concussions. We didn't have so many knee injuries today because your feet get caught in stuff. Your cleats get caught. You don't slide in it. You don't move in it. You get stuck. All these guys get a lot of knee injuries. It's all coming from this artificial turf.
1: You don't think it's because uh, nowadays they're a bit rougher than you were back in the day?
2: That's impossible. Ain't no, ain't no way they could have hit harder than we did back in the day because we could hit any way we wanted to. The guys are just as big, hit just as hard. We didn't have all the rules that we have, you know. If if I had been playing today, there's no way I could do the hammer tackle. It would be over. I'd walk on the field as soon as I stepped on the field. it's $50,000 fine and 25000 for thinking about throwing the hammer. So there's no way I can even play today. I would, I would be too rough for the game.
3: They just keep holding me. I won't let go. i